Hello, hello. Welcome to the 1018 Experience. I am your host, Christine. If you are new here, welcome. If you are returning, you know I F with you the long way. Anybody who at any point has um, sent me any type of encouragement, liked, shared, commented, rated, um, reached out to me personally to express appreciation of the podcast, anything along any of those lines, um, have missed the podcast. I don't think I've recorded or posted anything in like months. Um, (laughs) anyone who has reached out to me to ask me where it was at, who has congratulated me at any point for, um, sharing and speaking out on this podcast, any of that stuff, any of those things, like gave a tip, any of those things that just like the, any type of expenditure, right? From you to me and appreciation and gratitude and acknowledgement of this podcast. I have with you all the super, super, super long way. And I have to be honest, I have really missed um, recording and talking on the podcast and sharing different things. I feel like uh, that's one of the reasons why I have so many new gray hairs <laughs> because I have so many notes in my phone, in my journals, like <laughs> everywhere of topics and things that I have been meaning to talk about and share on the podcast, on Patreon. On all of these different places and I just have not had the time to one sit down and go through any of it to start to package it intentionally and get my thoughts together um, much less sit down and record anything or put anything out so I say all of that to say I appreciate everybody I appreciate everybody if you tuning into this for the first time uh, as <laughs> A certain podcaster says, first and last time listeners, <laughs> if you've been waiting for this, any of those things, I have put y'all the super long way. I really, really appreciate it. It doesn't go unnoticed. Um, now, out at the, in the um, description of this, I, I put some, some warnings there before I get into any of the actual content that I'm going to discuss. I really just want to get to the point and why I'm discussing it first. So that way, if any of those topics are activating for you, you can get that piece and then head on out and go on about what you need to do. And you know, what makes this funny is that I always talk about how I don't like really make notes. I don't really make bullet points for things. Uh, But this episode, I had to write some stuff down. (laughs) I had to give myself a guide Um, so yes, with that being said, uh, my purpose, this episode is not really to dump anything. Um, it's really just to kind of share my experience, um, to really add a little bit of weight towards some of the things that I say and some of the things that I share, um, because I am not coming in blindly, right? Like, 
there's work that I've done. There's work that I have facilitated. There is work that I have um, had people share with me. There's work that I have seen other people do and facilitate and had done for them so that I can say um, these things like from a, a fact-based place. And additionally, I have seen what happens when this work uh, does not go well or when this work is incomplete or when it happens from um, a position that's not like authentic from somebody who's not like fully rooted in in their own well-being, whether that's their fault or not, right? Like I've seen this go really, really well. I've seen it go not so well and everything in between. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really just sharing my story just to add some credence to the things that I know that I have observed, um, but to really speak from my point of view, because that's the one that I know the best. Um, and the goal in doing that is really just to be like, one, there's no shame, even though we may feel shame, even though we may feel guilt, there there really isn't any in the things that we experience, man. Like this life, it throws a lot of stuff at us, this world this 3D existence, it throws a lot of stuff at a lot of people that leaves us dysregulated and disembodied regardless of what the path was toward that. Um, that's what happens and that's what we experience. And so we have these other issues as offshoots of that. Um, but like, it's not like a personal thing. It's not an individual thing. Like, we are not broken because of the way we respond to anything that happens. And um, we function in a way that we're designed to, right? Like our bodies are designed to help us survive in certain ways. And so um, knowing that, knowing that there is um, a story as to how something happens it's also a reminder. And when I say how something happens, I mean like our responses to things, like how we feel, how we behave, the ways that we think, um, the ways our bodies operate after certain stressful things happen to us. And knowing that um, that is kind of an expected result of things happening to us or around us, uh, it's also so important to know that uh, there's a way to complete that path, right? There's a way to come back to yourself, to become regulated again after being dysregulated, to be embodied again after being disembodied. And that's really, really, really what I want to drive home is that, as I have said before, I will say this a million and one times, you are never, ever, ever too far gone. You can always make your way back. Your destiny is always available to you. Um, and then for me, like I'm a very, maybe it's a social worker in me. I don't know. I'm a very radical person. So like I look at things as like, okay, on a micro level, like there are individual problems and patterns that are playing out that need to be addressed. And as a result, there's like individual, individual and like self healing that needs to take place. Um, and then because of that, like some of that extends into the family and into the community, right? Uh, excuse me, if everyone has some layer of like healing and regulation and embodiment work to do, 
than when they were dysregulated, when they were disembodied, that impacted their family, that impacted their community in one way or another, right? So there's healing and restoration that needs to happen there as well. But we also need to look at the fact that our society as a whole is is sick, right? Like when you have a bunch of uh, dysregulated, disembodied people in the mix together, like the, the things that are created from that uh, serve to kind of keep people unwell and in that state. And so there are things that need to be corrected and resolved on a global level, on a societal level, um, on like the social, like interpersonal, like communal and family level, and then individually as well. And all of that work goes together, right? So anything that I say, again, I've repeated, I'm repeating something that I've said in other episodes, but anything that I say about the work you need to do as an individual is an acknowledgement of the fact that there is work that needs to be done on these other levels as well. But most importantly, for that work to be effective, for that work to be um, sustainable and to be efficient and to really honor each individual's own like frequency at which they are regulated and embodied, the self-work is required. We need to be able to um, regulate ourselves first, know ourselves first, be embodied with our own unique divine essence first and to know how to maintain that know how to recover that if it is disrupted in any way so that we can be effective in the ways that we work and advocate towards a greater scale collaboration and healing. So that is really what I want to get across with this podcast um, or with this with the podcast as a whole, really, honestly. And then with this episode specifically, that's my purpose with sharing that. So, yeah. Okay. So, I guess I'll start. Let me get back in my chair. You know, it's interesting. I, um, I've been talking a lot about self-soothing, right? <laughs> to try to help you when you're regulated. And I just want to be clear. Like, I'm sitting here with some tea and the fluffy blanket that I keep telling you guys about. Some fluffy slippers. I have a comfy pillow behind me. I'm sitting in a room where the lighting is really warm and inviting. Um, I got my plants around me. I was going to do this earlier, but I was like, let me clean first. Let me eat and let me clean. Let me make sure my basic needs are met before I start um, poking around in some pretty uh, heavy topics. Um So again, I say that to say the things that I be talking about, I'm not just, you know, throwing at you guys from a place of judgment. It's because I have lived it and I facilitated it. So I know that it makes a difference. But anyway, with that being said, I, um, the other night, I think it was Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday. I can't remember Thursday. I went live on Facebook to do some uh donation based readings and I started to kind of talk about some of those things that I brought up at the beginning of this episode and when I was talking I remember thinking okay this is an important conversation let me make sure I go back and clip this later so like I peeked at the time I'm like all right let me uh 
go back and clip this later so I can put it out as just like an individual clip, right? And I did that. And so I sat back and watched it. And I was like, wow, I look real aggressive. <laughs> like my body language, my tone of voice, like I was like, damn, I look real aggressive. And it was tripping me out because at the time I did not feel angry when I was discussing what I was discussing. Um, I was not like fully conscious of the way that my body language, what my body language was communicating. Um, but for me, someone who really strives to be trauma informed in their practice, I'm like, I cannot put this out. Like (laughs) you cannot have this particular conversation all aggressive. It doesn't work that way. Um, which again, reinforces what I say all the time about being regulated first. Right. Um, because literally like right before I went live, I had said I was going to go live at a certain time. And literally right before I went live, like my kids got on my nerves real bad. (laughs) And like, there was a little issue with that. Um, but I did not take the time. Like I set up and I said my prayers and stuff, but even with going through my regular process, I did not take the extra time to fully regulate before going live. Um, so even though I said the prayers, like I protected the space, all of those things, um, I didn't make sure that I was okay. Uh, when I knew that I had been, you know, my, my, uh, what's the word I want to use? Mm my homeostasis had been disrupted. (laughs) And so, you know, that's just another pin. We'll put a pin in that, right? So anyway, I'm like, ah, I can't put this out. But I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure I talked about this on a few other podcast episodes. Let me go back and listen to them, right? And so, like I know, and that was another thing that I had said in that live, is that like I've been saying this for months, and I and so when I thought about it, I'm like, okay, it's on some of them podcast episodes. So let me uh, go back and see if I could find one of those episodes and find a clip that I can share from there. And damn it, every single one was aggressive. <laughs> like all of it, even though that wasn't my ten- intention, right? Um. It was like a lot of strong passion in the moment, but in watching it and in listening to it, I'm like, uh-uh, I don't like this. I don't like this. And like people who know me, people who have relationships with me, um, don't respond to it anyway. Like they, cause they know me. Right. Um, but to a stranger or even to someone who does know me, that is in a, um, dysregulated state of their own that can be very activating right like the tone of voice like the body language all of these things like sis it looks like you are ready to fight and that is not the energy to be in when you're trying to get this message across so now I'm like yo why am I so angry because it's it's wild because like I'm not an angry person like the people who 
meet me today. They don't know me to be an angry person. They may know me to be a passionate person about the things that are important to me, but not just like an angry, aggressive person. If you knew me some years ago, like teenage and younger or um, early adulthood, then you may know more of the aggressive side, but um, people who meet me now, like they don't, they don't particularly see me that way. But I'm, and so I say that to say, like, I used to be like very, very angry and I knew what I was angry about and I worked really, really, really hard on my temper. <laughs> so it doesn't come across the same way. And so even like now, like the things that upset me, I'm pretty aware of them, right? Like I'm able to just be like, all right, take a beat, calm down, don't react, whatever the case may be. This is how you can communicate it. If you need to take a break, take a break, whatever, right? I'm able to navigate my anger in healthier ways. And so this was really baffling to me to be like, damn, every time I have this particular conversation, so much passion and anger gets stirred up in me. What is that? Where is that coming from? Because that is not trauma informed. That is not trauma sensitive. And you're dysregulated, right? Like you didn't even really know. You didn't realize that you were coming off that way. Even though you heard and felt the passion of the moment, you didn't realize how it was coming off as aggressive. So, which is a sign that I was not fully conscious of what was going on and not being fully conscious means we are dysregulated, right? We're not being intentional. We're probably operating out of some old patterns. So now I'm like, all right, let us investigate what is going on. And so that's what started my <laughs> my deep dive here. And the next day, yes, this was Thursday because the next day I woke up and I, a lot of times when I'm trying to figure out what to pray for, for the day, like I have like my regular, like, protection and cleansing and blessing prayers that I do um but then it's like okay what's on my heart is there anything else that's on my heart to pray for and I like to align that with the energy of the moment right so if there are eclipses new moons full moons um any particular transit that I'm aware of that I know is impactful for me um or even just like the numerology of the day right like if I wake up and it's like before my alarm and I look at the time and the time is significant and those are things that I will think about. But anyway, on Friday when I woke up, because I also wanted to clip the live, uh, it just felt really, really important to focus on this idea of I've been I've been playing around with this idea of role confusion, right? Knowing who and what you are and understanding that in relationship to other people to greater society to the spirit world all of those things right and so I just felt um moved to share a prayer similar to like the serenity prayer if you're familiar with it but really just to develop some more clarity on who and what am I what is it that I am uh tasked with what tools and resources do I have how do I find these things? How do I embody these things? How do I use these things? And then what are the things that I need to relinquish to spirit? Um, 
And then what does that look like as well, right? Essentially, that's what the prayer is. It is up on my Patreon now and the post is unlocked. You do not have to be a patron to uh, see it. Um, When I get some time, maybe today, I might go back and record it as an audio file. So that'll be something available as well. Um, I'm really working on making my sites more accessible. It's just, it takes some time um, to go back and fix things. But uh, I'm working on it. Anyway, anyway, the prayer is there. And it's interesting because that was on my heart before anything happens. <laughs> like up until this point, I still wasn't fully aware of how angry I was. Like I still was thinking I'm going to clip this and put it out. I hadn't rewatched it. And I have been like, things have been going like pretty smoothly for the most part, more or less. Uh, throughout the week anything that kind of popped up was just like eh, eh, whatever right on Friday things started to happen personally and professionally which really had me in this space of like damn what am I supposed to do what's my role here right and so now I just have so much gratitude in my heart because I'm like wow like God will really prepare you your ancestors will really prepare you for the things that are coming and I'm thankful that that was even on my mind as things started to play out in front of me because it didn't, it tried to spin me out for a little bit, but I caught it and I was able to reel it back in. And so this is where I started to focus even more on the idea of, okay, what is, what are you tasked with? What are you supposed to be focusing on right now? Focus on the things that you are given to focus on right now, right? It reorients me. And so I spent the weekend uh, just cleaning, as you know, we do on weekends <laughs> and cleaning up. And I did like some pretty general like spiritual work. Like I was reading, I finished up a book that I had um, started a very, very long time ago. And it was interesting because like I didn't remember reading some of it. Um, and so like I went back to reread it. And the part that I reread, it was so interesting, even though I could see the markings on the page that I had read it already. It was like I was reading brand new content and it was very um, relevant to what I was uh, processing at the time. But more on that later. And uh, I ended up doing some other just kind of like basic like cleansing and spiritual healing work. I didn't have any specific intentions about anything. But, um, yeah, like just kind of like some basic cleansing and just went on about my day. And I could tell that my energy was a little bit lower because I was processing a lot. And that's also a prayer that I pray very frequently. Um, I kind of included a piece of it and the one I put on my Patreon, but just this idea of like, okay, sometimes things come up. And I need to sit with it. And so I pray for the time and the space and the resources to do the work that I need to do without um, missing out on anything, right? Without missing out on money, without missing out on connections with my family or having to support my kids or getting my work done or whatever the case may be. Um, But then I'm able to do those things without like a loss attached. And so... That's kind of how I spent my weekend. 
Um, I'm recording this on Sunday, by the way. I'm probably not going to put it out until after Halloween because just because I've been over here in the trenches, I want y'all to... <laughs> I want y'all to have fun. Enjoy y'all weekend or whatever. Um, but no, so then uh, the next day when I woke up, I, I just started remembering things, um, which kind of brought it all full circle for me. Um, because I realized that one of the reasons I'm really passionate in this area is because I have had to do a lot of work on myself. And so I know that the work works and I know that it is necessary and I know that I know the process, right? Um, because I was just reminded about how, uh, I just remember like being a, a teenager and like <laughs> first off, I feel like this goes way back before a teenager, right? Um, I think it's the teenager in me that's really, really angry and that's really, really reactive to things. But I think some things go back way before that. Um which is a, a revelation that I had over like the last two days or whatever. Well, no, I'm not even going to say the last two days. It's something that I've been paying attention to over like the last maybe two weeks or so, maybe even a little bit longer. And I've been trying to figure out um, because I just noticed that I do certain things when I get uncomfortable or when I get dysregulated. Um, and it reminds me a lot of my baby. And I'm like, wow, like the... <laughs> the things that I orient towards when I am dysregulated or uncomfortable, they're very, very um, childlike. And I remember even when I was younger, um, like if you know me, you know I've sucked my thumb, right? If you've seen me, you can probably assume that I sucked my thumb at some point. Um, but I sucked my thumb for a very, very long time, like a very, very long time. I didn't care about anything. Like people were like, oh, it's going to mess up your teeth. And I'm like, yeah, oh, well. Uh, my family tried everything, like any type of remedy you could think of to try to make me stop sucking my thumb, did not care. Um, even the dentist, they gave me like some type of guard to try to stop me from sucking my thumb, did not care. Like I sucked my thumb for a long time until one day I was just like, girl, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. We're not doing this anymore. And then that's when I stopped. Um, <clears throat> But I think at that point, I was really, really old. I don't know if I, I was like 19 or 20, maybe. I can't remember if I had, but it was somewhere around there. Um. So yes, anyway. And so thinking about that, and like sometimes when things start to activate me a lot, I'll rock myself. And so I'm thinking about that, and I'm like, damn, what happened to me <laughs> when I was a really little girl? Because a lot of the things that I do to soothe myself, and unconsciously at that, right, um, or have done to soothe myself unconsciously in the past, are like infant, small child things. And so something has happened. <laughs> what has happened? Um, 
and I was uh, I, my mom told me this like I don't even know she just kind of said it so casually She, I never knew this before maybe like a year maybe two years ago but she told me that when I was born for one reason or another like at one point I had a pinhole in my heart uh, but it closed up on its own I did not need surgery and for some reason they put me in the NICU for a little bit of time she could not remember how long she couldn't remember if it was hours or days or whatever and she just remembers like that I had I wasn't in an incubator but I had to have a mask over my face like to help me breathe for a little bit and then I was fine and I came home and I mean part of me would like more details about this <laughs> but me being the therapist and the spiritualist that I am is like, wow, what would that have been like to be an infant fresh out of their mother's womb? And, you know, the babies in the NICU, like they don't get the type of attention that they need. Right. Like they get just enough to keep them alive. But there's a lot of babies in there that need a lot of attention. So you don't get uh, the same affection that you get if you were to be with your parents. Um and so I think about that a lot because I know that for me, there are some core beliefs. And then other things happened in my childhood to kind of uh, solidify or reinforce these core beliefs. But just about being like unwanted or unlovable and things of that nature, that's a core belief that I have had to really interrogate and excavate, as I like to say, uh, to kind of get all the pieces of it out and to recognize how it shows up for me and of course, <laughs> at some point it showed up in the men that I was interested in and the men that I uh, was dating or just had a crush on or whatever the case may be. And that desire to be wanted left me a little bit like naive, right? Like it's like, okay, I really like him. I want to hang out with him. I want to spend time with him. But the boys are thinking about, oh, okay, she coming to hang out with me. She want she wants sex, right? And um, I think like the first time I felt, no, there was a lot. I've had boys at like a playground just exposing themselves to me and just being like, what the, what the, f <laughs> like I've been very young and just had people just like randomly like cop feels and it's like, oh my God, why are you touching me? Like, I don't want to be touched. Right. Um, so much that's like hanging out with people that I did like, and I was interested in, but did not want to have sex with, but it was hard for me because I didn't know how to communicate that, right? Like, I I didn't know what to do. And I feel like for a lot of people, period, but especially women and young girls, like, when you like somebody and you want to stay in some type of interaction with them, but you don't really want sex, like, that's a very subtle form of coercion, right? And this is why people talk about consent being, like, affirmative, Um and not necessarily just hinging on the idea that they didn't say no, because I also did not say yes. Like, I also did not say that that is what I wanted, right? Um, and so this happened, again, my memory is fuzzy, so I can't remember who was before whom's. Um, but there are a few times that I can remember in high school where, like, I was hanging out with somebody just because I liked them. And they progressed it to, like, something sexual. And... One of these people progressed this all the way. And I remember coming back to school and telling a very close friend about it. And that close friend at the time being like, oh, no, that wasn't rape. You wanted that. And I remember being really, really confused. Like, 
I no, I didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> but it was like, but did I? Did I communicate to that person that I wanted it? Was I, like, was I like I wrong? Um, I don't, I don't understand, right? And so after I told that person that story and they responded to me that way, I never told anybody else for years. And so I had made a post about it on Facebook some time ago. Um, but for some reason in my mind, that solidified this idea that, well, I mean, if you're there and you hanging out and you like him and he likes you, then he's going to assume that that's what you're there for. So you just got to do it even if you don't want to, right? This is what is in my head at the time. And so this brings me to another situation where I'm like, okay, I'm just hanging out with somebody that I like. And they tried to progress it to a sexual situation, but it did not happen, right? And this is very interesting because this kind of spawned some other stuff going on. And I've just be like, yo, I think a little bit I've I've kind of forgiven this person. I don't think I've ever just like said, all right, like, no, that nigga was lying B. We <laughs> We did not have sex because he could not fucking figure it out. And like, I was like not helping because I didn't want to do it, but I didn't know how to say that I didn't want to do it, but he couldn't figure out what to do. And so it was, it did not happen. But, um, I found out that that person, uh, kind of went back around a group of guys and I don't know. I don't know if he said that it did happen or if he just didn't say that it didn't and let everybody think whatever about it um part of this group of guys two of them at the time I considered them to be like really close friends um and so one of them was like real clear like yeah this is what's so and so is kind of letting people think and I think they both had said that to me right at the time and so that's how I know that it happens and so when this other person tried me, I knew that it was related. Like it was all sequential. Of course, my sense of time today is different. <laughs> I don't know. It could have been a week. It could have been two weeks. It could have been a month. I really couldn't tell you. Um, but I knew that these things were connected because of the people that were involved and because of two separate friends letting me know on two separate occasions like yeah so and so is basically telling people x y and z right and then somehow me and that person I don't know like it was weird I think like he kind of was like antagonistic toward me and I was just like why are you antagonistic toward me you're the one that's going around fucking lying (laughs) and I think that interestingly enough put another like female friend kind of in the middle of it Like, me and her have been cool. Anyway, anyway, none of that is relevant. I mean, it kind of is, but it's not. I'm not going to go into too much detail. That's neither here nor there. So, this person is telling their group of male friends or male peers, I don't even think they're all friends, that they had sex with me, which apparently in high school, that tells the other guy, she's easy, go try her. Now, fast forward. I don't know how far we are fast forwarding, but we are going to fast forward and then we're going to stop and press play at this point where I was at a friend's house 
and it was me and a couple other friends at this friend's house this friend had an older brother that you know he was like cute or whatever we had just like a little cute like friend crush but nothing like too crazy like nobody is trying to do nothing with their friend's brother for real it's just like oh your brother's cute <laughs> type stuff and so one day we're all there and this brother is a peer of the person who is telling the story about our encounter inaccurately. Um, but one day we're all there and I can't remember what we were doing, like cooking or baking cookies or something like that, right? And I ended up getting like a really bad migraine. I used to get really, really bad migraines in high school. And I remember the day that I was there, that particular day, I had a really, really bad migraine. Like I was trying to like function and have fun, but it was too much. It was too much. So I'm, at one point I just laid in her room, right? The light was off and I was just kind of laying in her room on the floor and I could hear them like in the kitchen, like laughing and playing, whatever, whatever. And um, at one point, her brother comes in the room where I'm at and starts like groping me and feeling me up. And at one point kind of pulled his dick out or something, something happened, right? And so while this is going on, my head is hurting crazy, right? I got a migraine. I feel nauseated and similar to the the first time, the first person who really kind of escalated the encounter, like, um, I remember just being like frozen in my body. Like I remember having thoughts, um, but not really being able to say or do anything like my, my arms, and my feet, like my voice, none of those things were connected to what was happening in my mind. Right. And then like that just progressed to like, I just pretend to be sleep and maybe he'll stop right because why wouldn't he <laughs> like duh like if he's trying to have sex with me then it's like oh you know like I'm asleep so maybe he'll stop but the the reason that the the moment ended is because my friends came back to the room and I remember that she turned the light on and she had this look on her face like, what is going on? And I remember like my eyes being open. I was kind of like peeking from under my arm because remember, I'm playing sleep, right? And I remember feeling like, oh, thank God. <laughs> oh, thank God, right? Um, So like he jumps up and just like kind of leaves or whatever, right? And so I share those things to say, oh, no, 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 no. One more thing I want to say. So then, again, we'll fast forward again. Stop, press play. And um, I don't know. Now that I think about it, the other, the other dude might have been after the brother. I don't know. My sense of time is messed up. But anyway, we will fast forward through this anyway. And we'll stop and press play on, like, I meet this guy that I really 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 like um <laughs> and he and I had a very long like 
on and off touching us type of situation for like half of my life at this point right but at this point in time I meet him I like him he likes me um we're kind of talking there's some drama involved like there's a couple little girls that's already like kind of fighting over him it was real weird it was a weird situation (laughs) in retrospect I probably should have let it go uh because that was very indicative of how things would go throughout um but now we was cool like we bonded uh and we was real real cool and I remember hanging out with him one day and I remember the day but I don't remember exactly what happened he actually brought this to my attention a few years ago when he was just like yeah you remember that one time like we was hanging out and you got like mad at me because I wouldn't have sex with you and I was like did I and he was like yeah And I was like, I don't really remember it. Like, I remember the day. Like, I remember being there. And I can vaguely remember a conversation of that sort happening. But I don't remember any details about it. Um, But what I do know is that that incident made me feel like, okay, now he's he's a safe one, right? (laughs) He's a safe one. Um, And that stuck with me for a very, very long time. And it's interesting that I took that to me that he was safe because like I said, at the same time, he got these other two little girls fighting over him while I'm, you know, like while me and him is like hanging out and getting to know each other. So fast forward like years, we're touch and go, right? We're touch and go for years. And then at one point, we actually kind of pick back up. We get really, 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 really close, like super, super close. Um, And like we had we had like very vulnerable moments together. Um, But I didn't tell him about any of these things that happened until like I forget what the conversation was. I don't know if it was a Bill Cosby conversation or R. Kelly conversation, just something about um predators and sexual assault and it was triggering me and this is I just I had to tell somebody I had to get it out because mind you when I told the one friend about the guy she told me that I wanted it and then the situation with um this is the same friend mind you with her brother um I literally have never talked about like I tweeted about it a while ago um but other than that I've never talked about it because uh I recognize that there are other people connected in this situation that I still have relationships with um other people that are connected to the situation that have nothing to do with any of that um and I care about them and what it would mean for them if I start saying names and so today I don't do that now, that's not to say that there won't be some day in the future where I let the shoppers sing, but it's just not today, right? I say all of that to say, aside from a few tweets that I posted a little while ago, I've never talked about it, right? So while social media is having these conversations about predators, and you got to think like when it first happened, there was a lot of people defending Bill Cosby, there's a lot of people defending R. Kelly, and... um it was a lot. So this person who I had identified as a safe person, who by this point in time, we had been through hell and 
we have been through hell and high water. You understand me? Like, (laughs) oh my goodness, we have been to hell and back a few times at that point, right? But with regards to this situation in particular, he was a vote for me because he had been identified as a safe person. So I told him, um, I don't think I told him about the brother, but I definitely told him about the other guy. And it was uh, very refreshing for him to receive that and to hold that for me and to be like really compassionate and loving toward me without changing up, right? Like he was gentle, he was tender, but he didn't treat me with kid gloves. And that was very meaningful to me because some people find out that something happens and they start to treat you differently in a way that makes you feel like, hold up, I ain't no punk bitch. (laughs) I was watching, I was watching Rush Hour 2 yesterday. (laughs) When he was arguing about the Chinese food being greasy and the dude was like, I ain't no punk bitch. He said, I ain't no punk bitch neither. Nah, but like sometimes that's how I feel when people are handling me with kid gloves because it's like, okay, like I'm still me. Like I'm still the person that I was before that. Like you don't got to like walk around on eggshells now. So it was really meaningful to me that he was able to take that and hold that and be supportive. So fast forward, you know, kind of going through life, whatever the case may be. And um, something happens that... I think it was back to the R. Kelly, Bill Cosby conversation. I can't remember which one it was at the time, but it it happened again and it activated me again. And I um really needed to talk to him about it. Again, this was in my mind. This is my vote. This is the oasis that I have when I need to get this off. And uh, I called him. He didn't answer. He texted me back. And I mean, there's a whole lot of other history here in between. I'll save it, but they were, he was, like, on his way to, like, a fight party or something. He just didn't have the space for it, right? And I remember telling him what it was about, and he's like, all right, I got you. I'll call you tomorrow. And then, like, he never did, and that really, really upset me. Um, Today, I can look back on it and, and be like, okay, that's unreasonable, right? Like, you cannot expect him to hold all of that for you. Um, And then if he doesn't have the capacity for it, he doesn't have the capacity for it. Even if he doesn't have the capacity to recognize or communicate that he doesn't, the fact that he didn't is a sign. Um, And you just have to honor that and respect that. I'm there today. But at the time, I was pissed off. I felt like he abandoned me. But it made it very clear to me that that was something I was going to have to do myself. And it was something I was really going to have to heal and balance out. Um... And take my power back on back with within me. Like, I had to do it. Like, I could not keep dumping it off on somebody else. And so I remember one day I was just, like, really processing it and really processing, okay, what did these situations teach me about me, about sex, about my relationships? Uh, what did that do to my relationships, to my body, to my womb, all of this stuff? Um, I'm processing all of this. And I remember one day... Like, at this point, I was doing, like, yoga daily. I was really working on, like, a lotus pose, um, which is where you kind of put the heels of your feet in your your hips. Like, you sit cross-legged, 
but the heels of your feet come up to your your hips, which requires a lot of openness in the hips. Um, if you know anything about yoga or if you know anything about the hips and emotions, like it, it stores a lot there. Um, so anytime you do hip openers, it can definitely kind of unlock a lot. And I remember like one day I didn't feel like doing like a full yoga flow, but I was like, all right, let me just get up and try to do a lotus. Let me stretch a little bit and then try to do a lotus. And this was the first time I got into a half lotus. I might've even gotten into a, a fraction of a second of a full lotus also. And I was so happy. And like that breakthrough was also very, very emotional for me. Um, because of what I was processing at the time and because I had to like go back and empower myself to get through it and to really challenge some of the narratives that I had established from those experiences. Um, and I was really, really proud of myself. <laughs> I remember that feeling. I remember that day when I cracked that open, right? I was so proud of myself. And that time was so significant to me because that was where I really started to break through some of the like distorted thoughts that I had, um, particularly around like just the way my body reacted in those situations in particular, Um, because there were others, but those two were kind of what sticks out and um it just like it came to me just as clear as day like because at this point I might have I'm pretty sure I had probably went back to school um so I might have had a little bit more insight on how the brain works and things of that nature but um It was very clear like okay I froze and I and I was immobilized in that moment um because for one reason or another uh, I just didn't I didn't have the resources or I did not have the skills um to do anything else right because for the longest time like my friends telling me like no you wanted that you wanted that And I had internalized like, okay, well, I mean, I know that I didn't want that, but how would anyone else have known, right? Um, And and that night, it came to me very clear, like, okay, um, maybe people didn't really understand the concept of consent really at all, much less the concept of affirmative consent, right? At least I didn't. I can probably say that my friend at the time didn't as well. Um, And like, maybe that young man knew and decided to do it anyway, right? I would personally like to think, and I can say this because that boy is dead. Um, (laughs) That boy is dead. Um, But like, I I don't really know. I don't have any feelings about it. Uh, whether he could feel the tension in my body and was reading it accurately or not. Um, there are some things that stick out to me that's like, 
um, that was a red flag, but that would be a red flag to somebody that is paying attention. That will be a red flag to somebody that is regulated and embodied and knowing what I know about that person's life up until that point and after I highly doubt that he was there um but at the same time whether he was or he wasn't uh none of that is my fault right like my body did not do anything wrong my body did not necessarily fail me it actually did what it is supposed to do in a situation where I'm under resourced right like I don't have the capacity for one reason or another my brain and my body or reading the situation as something I cannot fight against, right? Um, similarly with the friend's brother, like I highlight how the migraine because like it gives the physical component, if you're familiar with migraines at all, it gives the physical component of why I was under-resourced at that time. But it's very similar to the, the other guy and just like not knowing how to say or what, what to say or how to say it um how to assert myself in those moments those were skills that I did not have right and then for the other young man in particular this is somebody who up until that point I liked we had hung out a lot like it was pretty regular um to just kind of hang out and talk and laugh and joke and flirt or whatever um and like I was enjoying that part of it. And so now when I'm in a situation where it's like, okay, what do I say? How do I get out of this situation? I didn't know how to do it, right? Um, so being able to understand like, okay, that's, that's just what happens in those situations. Um, and to offer myself some compassion and some forgiveness for the way that that played out and then also some gratitude for my body implementing the survival strategies that were necessary to keep me safe and keep me alive to the point where I am here right um I have gratitude for that that's something that I've had to work through and to get to and because I can say that wholeheartedly today I know that the work works right like sometimes when I'm in therapy or I'm doing readings with people and I talk about extending gratitude and compassion to yourself for your past decisions because they got you here and your body did what it was supposed to do. Um, I know to some people, especially when they're in the thick of it, that sounds wild, right? Like, why would I have gratitude to my body for not fighting this person off of me, right? Why would I have gratitude to my body for not screaming right um and that's why the compassion part comes first because um and this is why I told the story about infancy and what happens um when I found out that I was in the NICU right uh because and then also there are some there's a little bit of daddy issues in there as well <laughs> But if you think about an infant who did not have the affection that they needed and then um, early in their childhood were so attached to their father and then became distant due to their parents' relationship or lack of, right? And my dad just kind of dealing with and navigating his own things that limited his ability to be as present as I needed him to be, Um 
me being attention and affection starved, right? Um, and then being in a situation with someone that I like and not knowing how to, because if I'm just upset, if I don't care about something or a relationship with someone or if I'm done with it, it's real, real easy for me to fight something off, right? I don't really care too much about this. So if I assert myself and you take it away, then then so be it, right? Like at this point, I'm a little bit more skilled in handling conflict. But at the time, I was not. I did not know how to do that, right? Um, and so understanding all of that context of who I was at the moment, the skills and the resources I had and did not have, right? I can... I can then offer myself, my body, some gratitude for being like, damn, you you didn't have it. You couldn't do those things at the time. And so you did what you could do to get me to the next moment and to get me to the next day. And for that, I am grateful, right? And then being able to understand the social and societal context that may have had him operating the way that he was right that may have had my friend thinking the way that she was even if I go back to my parents right um my mom worked a lot for me and my brother you know what I'm saying I also think that my mom has her own things with anxiety and who knows what has happened in her life before she was a mother that she may not have had the time or the resources or the capacity to go back and face right a lot, of, a lot of these things that I'm talking about in this podcast, I haven't even shared with my mom. She doesn't know that, but my mom and I have had conversations about surface level things. And I can tell that she has an idea, not necessarily of me, but just in life, right? Um, and so it's something that it's not a fully spoken bond that we have, but it's something that like we both are like, yeah, yeah, this is sticky, right? Um... But I can have compassion for my mom because as much as I understand that I did what I was able to do at the time based on the tools and the knowledge and the resources that I had, I know my mom did the same. I know that my father did the same. And I can see where the gaps were. And I can see how, uh, in a best case scenario, my dad should have been able to do the work on himself so that he was present as a father more consistently, right? Uh, I wish that my mom would have gotten the help that she needed to actually deal with her anxiety and the things that, um, I don't wanna say gave her anxiety, but made that like a prominent state of being for her and caused all of these compensatory behaviors that I learned and picked up on. Um, I can have some compassion because I understand that they didn't have what they needed and that is probably because whoever was responsible for their care and their keeping didn't have what they needed, right? Uh, But as for me, (laughs) I'm gonna make sure I get it. I'm gonna make sure I go back and get it. I'm gonna make sure my kids have it and I'm gonna make sure that anybody who comes into contact with me um, knows that that is possible for them also, right? And so I share all of that to say like that that night where I 
realized I can't dump this on him. I have to take it myself, right? And where I had that physical breakthrough, I had that emotional breakthrough, I had that mental breakthrough, right? Um, I didn't really have a whole lot. I was piecing things together. I didn't really have a whole lot of um, guidance in that moment. I had to do it myself. And so, like, I share that part of my story, um, of my very in-depth story, um, to just say that I know, right? Like, I I know that there is medicine available. I know that there are things that you can do for yourself. I also know that there are things that you can do in community with other people that help to heal and restore you. Um, and I know that it is possible, and that's why I'm always kind of encouraging people to pay attention to the places where they're showing up dysregulated or disembodied. That is that it has information for you. Right. Um, and I'm always encouraging people to. Just step away from the vice for a little bit to figure out what you are being directed toward dealing with. As much as possible. Right. Um. And if you can't do that, then what type of supports do you need to be able to do that? Um, because it's so necessary and it is very, very meaningful and healing when you can do it. Um, but at the same time, like I understand with everything that goes on in the world and in life, I understand that sometimes we just get so overwhelmed with it all that we can't, we don't have the capacity to do it. And, um... I think that that's a big reason why I get so personally passionate about it because when I've lived through it and I've had to double back, right? Like I had that moment, but I've had to double back and do cleanings. Like I've had to double back and be like, I was here now, right? Like even now, um, sitting with myself about why you ain't say nothing. Why you still not saying names, girl? Like, are you doing yourself a disservice by not doing that? Did that incident, maybe with others also, but did that, those two incidents, because they involve a particular person that I did have a close relationship with and don't have one anymore, it's like, how does that impact your ability to connect to other people? Like, there are still things there, right? So I do still be having to double back and go back and get it, but I don't have the same resistance as I did before. Um, and then when I do find something... I have tools to navigate it, right? Whether it's things that I employ myself, whether it's something that I go to another healer for or a therapist for, or if it's something I can just kind of bounce off my support team, if it's something I need to leave at the altar, whatever the case may be. I know that I have the tools to kind of get the antidote for whatever I go back and find. Um, and because I've had to do that and I still do that, um, it's, I don't know how to say it, but it, it strikes a chord with me when people hear me saying these things or when I'm encouraging people in that direction or when I'm providing information, laying out what is happening and they look to me as though like, okay, like it's not that easy. Um, and it's like, okay, <laughs> no, it's not. But it really is that simple, 
right? And like, depending on the things that you have been through, how um, the, the narratives and the beliefs that came out of that experience have been reinforced over time, it can be very challenging to do, right? And I can concede that, but it really, really is that simple, <laughs> that things have happened uh, to disembody us and dysregulate us and that we are the only ones that can get ourselves back. Even if we have support from other people outside of us, we have to do it. We are the only ones that can feel our unique frequency and that can put us back in the place of our unique frequency, right? Nobody else can be embodied for you. Nobody else can be regulated for you, you have to do it, right? And it's possible to do. And um, because I've done it, and it's like, just because I don't come out here, like dumping my whole story, like, I'll, I don't know if I will ever say any of these things again, or give any more detail, honestly. But just because I don't, because I'm private, um, I don't think it is You are discounting your own power to assume that the reason someone is able to find any type of healing within themselves or within community, um, when you attribute that to them not having it as hard as you or um, having as rough of a life or as rough of an experience as you. Um, Because you just as much a healer, a self-healing uh, entity as I am or anyone else is um, and the idea that you are not is one of the lies that come from being dysregulated and disembodied and disconnected with yourself on a soul level and again it's not your fault that that is how you're functioning right those are things that happen for survival but you're the only one that can get yourself back and like even through like these things like that's just kind of one layer right because then there's also like the mood stuff and like the depression stuff like I remember my first like depressive episode kind of it's interesting because it didn't happen like right after I had my first baby um I had a breakup very very quickly after shout out to (laughs) my kids dad that's the homie now we are on great terms out don't send no smoke the beloved's way you feel me (laughs) Our family functions very well as is, and I'm grateful and appreciative for it. But we broke up really not too long after I had the baby. It was two weeks. Like the first week, he was out of town, and my mom came to help me with the baby um, that weekend. And then the second weekend, he was in town, and we broke up. We were still there together for a little while before I came back home. But like we broke up two weeks after. And again, I don't don't send us smoke the beloved's way. All right, not too much. <laughs> Not too much on my first kid's father. That's the good. That's the homie. I think we were both young. We were both going through a lot. And I do not think that he was wrong in his assessment. I appreciate him uh, having the courage to make the moves that were necessary. Um, And again, I'm very grateful for where we are today. Um, But at the time, that was devastating. But that person who I had a real touch and go relationship who in my mind had kind of been identified as a safe person, right? Like, at that time, we started touching a little bit more because I'm like, all right, 
I'm broken up. Uh, granted, at this point, we're in two different cities. We don't see each other, but we talk really often. And, you know, we're bonding. And what's going on with your life? What's going on with my life? He was very, very receptive of me having a baby. Um, that was my dog. That was the honey. So then I come back home. We start messing again. But, of course, as is, has been the story with this man <laughs> the entire time, is that there's other things happening in the background right so a whole lot happens because of that like a whole lot of stuff happens because of that I ain't even gonna get into right (laughs) whole lot of stuff um very poor decisions very poor decisions which led to like pregnancy and abortion and then like I feel like there was a trauma bond after that because there was another pregnancy going on the same time it's a mess It was a ghetto-ass mess, (laughs) y'all. But we did form, like, a really, really, like, tight bond in that time. I don't know how healthy that bond was. uh, Because it was a whole, it was a ghetto-ass mess. Whole lot of drama. Um, Anyway, um, and so, like, that kind of progresses to a point where, and I, was saying in my mind the whole time like okay if this don't work out I feel like I'm gonna have to deal with the way of breaking up with my kid's father and it's not working at the same time that's something that I always knew in the back of my mind right that the emotions would be compounded because we picked right up after my child's father and I broke up and of course like the drama kind of comes to a head it doesn't work out um, at least at that time, right? We was touching, we was touching, we was kind of like hot and cold, hot and cold. And then there was a like a full-on disconnect at some point. And I think just the weight of all of it, like it really kind of sent me into like a depressive episode. And I remember at the time being like, okay, I don't think I'm depressed because I'm not suicidal. That was the only marker that I used, right? The fact that... Uh, my screensaver was a cloudy, gray, rainy window. And then I just wanted to lay in bed in the dark all the time. Um, that I really wanted other people to come get my baby to take her outside. Because she always had a lot of energy, right? I wanted other people to come and get her. I didn't want her to be, like, stuck in the house with me. But I also didn't want to go anywhere. I wasn't really, like, connected to and communicating with, like, my friends and my loved ones. All like that. Um everything I was sad was crying all the time right but in my mind at that time girl you're not depressed because you're not suicidal and I would always tell myself I would never do that I would never kill myself because I love my babies these are the things that I would be saying to myself at that time and so uh interestingly enough I can't remember specifically how I got out of that um like I stayed in school and that person and I kept being touch and go. The goes were a little bit like longer and more intense than the touching had been over the last year and a half or so, or the previous year and a half or so. Um, so we wasn't like all the way off, but it was a hot ghetto fucking mess. <laughs> and then I had met who ended up being my second child's father. Um, we weren't really official, and so it was just like a whole lot of touch and go, touch and go. 
um, while having this person. And then the touch and go guy found out that I was kind of dating this other person and gotten his motherfucking feelings. I can't even lie. I still feel a way about that because my nigga, how dare you? <laughs> oh my God. I hope this pops up on your phone and you listen to it because what? <laughs> If you hear this, please text me, call me, FaceTime me, and let me know why the hell you had the audacity to get in your feelings about me just talking to another person with the shit you had going on. Get a life. (laughs) I love you so much, but get a fucking life. Anyway, um, yes. And so, like, that kind of fell off me and my my second child's father started talking and uh I think we was both depressed when we met honestly not to put their business out there that's not cool I guess I shouldn't do that but I think we were both kind of depressed when we met but then like I finished school and um I was feeling really good like at work I had got a promotion like my um and, like, the promotion came, like, because a contracted company really wanted me to take a higher position on their project, right? Like, my actual employer didn't want to promote. It wasn't their idea. They had to create a position for me um, in order to do that. So, things just was kind of going really well. I'm dating this person. Eh, I'm not going, not too much. <laughs> we got a kid together. Um but fast forward again and I have another baby and I remember being like really really worried because I had the pregnancy came at a very inopportune time like I was preparing to go back to school and then I got pregnant and I was like okay I can't go back right now um and then like that kind of sunk me um I wasn't in a space where I wanted to have more kids at that time either. Um, but I could not abort. Well, I did not feel comfortable having an abortion at that time because I had had one already. Um, so like that was real, uh, it was hard. It was a hard time. And I remember thinking like, okay, I cannot be depressed again. I cannot be depressed again. I am not going to go through another depression. Absolutely the fuck not. Right. So then when I had my baby, like that was just in the front of my mind. Like, no, we cannot be depressed again. We cannot be depressed again. And it's wild because I probably was still depressed, but it didn't show up as the sadness and laying around and not really wanting to do anything. It was a whole lot of anger. It was a whole, 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 whole lot of anger. And I think that one of the reasons that happened with that one um is because one I was really fighting against feeling sad even though like I um I did feel sad like sometimes there would be some times like when I eventually went back to work and I would just be kind of sitting in my car thinking about how unhappy I was um and so I would feel sad then but uh I wasn't really letting myself go into the depths of it. So that's one of the reasons why I think the anger was so strong. 
another reason I think the anger came out really strong with him is because um, I like I had perceived a lot of boundary violations and so this is all like I said this is looped in with the other story I told in terms of like sexual assault and all of those things but like I had just perceived a lot to be happening like we might have agreed on something and then they handled it differently or like just a lot of ways I felt like my boundaries were being violated um and at the time I'm like he didn't I think we had maybe like one little offhand conversation about it because he had mentioned back when we were dating he had said something like oh um basically saying like you are inviting things if you dress a certain way or if you go hang out with people whatever the case may be and naturally with my history that really activated me and so I I like I I kicked him out we got into a little bit of an argument I kicked him out because he's talking about like oh you don't know what I've been through you don't know what I've seen and I'm like you don't know me you don't know what I've been through and what I've seen and so we had that argument I kicked him out and we didn't talk for a little bit and then he kind of realized, like, damn, I think I was, I think that was, like, you know, a violation. And so he was really, like, um, apologetic for that and, like, understanding at that time. But, again, he didn't, he doesn't know. Even to this day, he still doesn't know unless he hears this and listens to this. This may be the most information he has about my history. He found out about maybe... If he was paying attention when we were at one of those doctor's appointments, he might have heard that I had an abortion. But other than that, a good bit of what I have said up until this point is probably new information for him. But um, he didn't know that. And at the time, I felt like I shouldn't have to tell you all of those things for my boundary to be valid and honored. I should not have to share that. Right. I should not have to tell you why I don't want people to think they could just come up to me and rub my stomach without me saying that I'm okay with it. Right. I should not have to tell you why um, I don't feel comfortable with certain people in my house with my baby. I shouldn't have to tell you these things. If I'm saying it, then it should be respected because I'm setting a boundary. And so I think that because we were having a lot of arguments and I think a big part of that was just one. We got together when we were both kind of depressed I think we were both stressed about having a baby um, and we weren't able to communicate that in a healthy way. And so we were starting to, and then I think there's just the issue in compatibility outside of that, some of our values and some of our beliefs outside of that. But all of that kind of came to a head in the relationship, which led to me feeling like a lot of my boundaries were being violated, which came out as anger, right? Um, And once again, I wasn't suicidal, but I was for damn sure homicidal. I will never forget that. I will never forget that feeling. Um, And it's interesting because I remember being a kid in like middle school and like a couple of my best friends in middle school, my mom and my brother, they would always say, oh no, you can't have a gun, Christine, because you'll kill somebody. Like it's, it's not safe. Like you should never have a gun in your house because you will kill somebody. And I remember at the time being like, what? Like, y'all think I'm not impulsive? Like, (laughs) I think I have like that much of a reckless disregard for life that I would just get mad at an argument and shoot somebody. 
why would I do that? Right? Like, I'm not that, I'm not that, <laughs> I'm not that unhinged. Like, please, I didn't understand it. But the anger that I felt once again, thank God for my babies. Because I have never felt so much rage in my life. In my life. And so at this point, I'm like, this is not good. This is not healthy. You need to take your ass to therapy. And so this is the first time that I went to therapy. And it's interesting because I knew that if I said, and this is before I went to grad school, right? So I didn't really know procedures, but I knew if I went in there and said I was homicidal, that it was going to start a whole cascade. So <laughs> I never disclosed that to the therapist, but um, that's when I first kind of went to kind of get a grip on some things. And through that process, I also started to really, really, really get deeper in the spiritual work, right? And so this is all kind of happening before, like the story that I told before when like I had gotten really triggered by the R. Kelly and Bill Cosby conversations. That was after this situation happened and I'm getting really deep in the spiritual work and I'm going to therapy and I'm really trying to get regulated and get back on my feet. I had went to a retreat. Yo, let me say this. Shout out to Nona. <laughs> if you're on Twitter, you have heard of Nona. If you know anything about Nona, shout out to Dio. Shout out to Erica, um, Diovana. Um, shout out to them. And shout out to everybody that was there because I needed that retreat. I needed that retreat. And um, there may be some things that Nona doesn't stand by now, and I respect that, Right. I think that there are people who have thoughts and feelings about her, maybe even some people who were working with her on that retreat who don't really stand by it. Um, And I honor everybody where they're at today. But what I can say without beyond a shadow of a doubt is that I needed that at that moment in that place, right? And so I have a lot of gratitude for everybody who made that possible because like it really catapulted me in terms of the spiritual side and the spiritual work that I had to do. It really gave me um, a lot of tools and a framework to to further build off. Like I kind of knew a little bit up until that point, which is how I found her because I was just kind of going toward um, what I felt because I knew that I wasn't, it wasn't right. Again, dysregulated and disembodied, right? I could feel that I was out of alignment with my true self. And I knew that in order to get it back, I needed to do that on multiple levels. I couldn't just do therapy. I couldn't just do asana or or yoga, the physical practice of yoga, right? That I needed something else. And so that was helpful. And I think that doing that work at that time is what helped me to continue to work through a lot of the assaults that I had experienced because I had that I had that toolbox, right? Whereas before, like the first depressive episode, I'm just jumping from nigga to nigga, honestly. Um <laughs> I'm jumping from nigga to nigga and I'm 
um, masking things with my outward success of degrees and promotions and all this type of stuff. But I wasn't really, I didn't really have tools and skills on like that. So that's why when something came back and activated it, and I don't think that it is by chance at all that these episodes were activated when I was pregnant and had babies. And I will say that even uh, part of the healing work that I've done over the weekend was the yoni steam. So I don't find it a coincidence that this is what is coming to me now, right? Um. So yeah, like I, I feel like the reason I was able to approach things differently and transmute them and really integrate my experiences into an embodied whole is because like I realized I this is beyond therapy you need a little bit more and for me it's like when you look around like there's a lot of people out here that are talking about spiritual work and polyvagal theory and there's a lot of therapists who are also spiritual practitioners there are a lot of therapists who also incorporate yoga and other movement in their work um, there are a lot of spiritualists who are advocating for therapy, right? When it's happened back the first one in 2009 and the second one in 2015, what this was not the dominant conversation. It was not. So a lot of this for myself, I've had to piece together, right? I've had to just kind of follow my own compass and piece it together. There's even been a point in time in this journey where I had to stop going to therapy because of some insurance things. So I had to do it, right? Even being in school, learning different things, learning different techniques, I had to do it for me. I had to implement it for me, right? And there was a point in time where I was really, really frustrated with that. I was really, really angry that I couldn't find a therapist. I was angry that there wasn't somebody who was a practitioner who also had um, the spiritual inclination, right? That can help me kind of decipher my ancestral work, right? Like <laughs> who can help me understand the greater purpose of this touching girl relationship I've had for half of my life up until this point. And to really contextualize what was happening and why I was so frustrated that there was not one single place where I could go to to get all of those needs met. And so I had to do it myself to put myself back together, right? To be able to sit with certain things and process and integrate and embody back into a regulated whole. And so for me, when I'm sharing this with people um, or even when I'm watching people struggle, right? Like as a professional, um, it's not terrible because as a therapist, particularly an outpatient therapist, I, um, I know my limits as to what I'm responsible for, right? And so I show up my best self, right? I say my prayers, I set the space, uh, I implement the things that I know are clinically sound occasionally, depending on who I'm working with, the things that are spiritually sound, very few and far between, um, and only if it is in alignment with where they are at um, and where they acknowledge that they are at, I'll say. 
Um, and then I, I do my hour and I leave, right? For some people, we might see each other two times a week. So I do my two hours and that's it. I leave it up to them and their spirits and the work that is on them to do. And I have seen a lot of my clients grow deeply because of it. Um, Even like people that I do readings for, right? And when they do their work, I have seen a lot of them grow and expand immensely. And these are things that I don't um, comment on because it's not my business to disclose. I mean, it's definitely a violation for the people that I see in therapy. But for me, that kind of trickles into the people that I do spiritual work with also, right? Like, I'm not going to disclose it, but I see it, right? And so not only have I lived it, I've seen the way that I facilitate it for other people. So then imagine when there are people that are close to you that you love very, very deeply um, and have very, very intimate relationships with. And when I say intimate, I don't necessarily mean sexual. I just mean very close, vulnerable relationships with people. And you see them struggle with their own things. Um, for me, I'll say it was always very hard to be in a position where it was like, okay, I can't rescue them from this. I remember thinking on multiple occasions for multiple different people. Like, I just wish I could take my mind and give it to them, right? The fortitude that I had to push through certain things, um, the wisdom that I've gained and, uh, whatever was in me that helped to whatever radar I had that helped to orient me toward the medicine that I needed at whatever time and the resources to help me take advantage of the medicine I needed at whatever time. If I could just take it out of me and give it to these people that I love, I would do it a hundred times over. I remember thinking that and I remember feeling that. And I remember watching people go through depressive episodes. I remember watching people I love going through anxiety attacks. I remember watching people that I love having um, manic episodes, right? I remember watching people that I love um, go through suicidal thoughts, suicide attempts, all type of shit, right? Even today, there's people very, very close to me that I literally have, <laughs> I can talk to them, but I could not see them if I wanted to. Like there's distance there, like there are things happening that prevent us from being able to connect and they aren't having a tough time. And it is a reminder of the limitations that I have um, in terms of impacting other people, right? Um, and so again, this has been a very, very long episode but I say all of that to say there is no medicine that I offer that I have not lived and experienced in some form or fashion. So I can stand by it. And I say it simply because it really is that simple, right? You're dysregulated and you're disembodied. These are things that your body has done for survival. And so we don't have any shame or guilt for that. We actually have gratitude for that uh, because the goal has been to keep you alive in 
the midst of things that have tried to take you out. Um, and at the same time, there is work to be done within the self. Some of that involves family and community. Some of that involves greater collective and global work. Um, but the self work has to happen because nobody else can do it for you. And it really is like, that's really it, right? It's not necessarily easy. What it looks like differs based on the individual, but that's really what it is. And um, me saying that is not a reflection of me having an easy life or an easy path. It's really a reflection of me having a certain capacity to sit with these things right I do think that's another thing and it's interesting because it it makes me a little bit angry but um as a Cancerian (laughs) I am okay with emotions right like I'm okay with it like if something happens like I just told y'all I spent the whole weekend just thinking about and processing and integrating different things and um I'm cool with that because I know once one, I know that I have to process my own things, right? I don't spin out. If I am processing my own things, eventually I'll hit the bottom. And then once I hit the bottom, I have tools, I have resources, right? And I know how to, I know how to, you know, build it back up. I'm okay with that, right? I know that you spin out when you, again, roll confusion, when you're processing lies, when you're processing things that are not in alignment with your divine essence, when you are um, not clear on where you stop and other people start, other people's work, other people's story, other people's problems, other people's um, taking, other people's disembodiment and dysregulation as a personal thing, as though it means something about you, is something that I know a whole lot about. I'm going to keep it real. I know a whole lot about it. Right. But that's when you spin out. And I know that I have the resources to one, recognize when that is happening and contain it and reorient myself. And so I can come back to it skillfully. And then also when I do come back to it, that I do have the tools and the resources to be skillful and intentional with that material. Right. So I'm okay with sitting with my emotions. When people hear me talking about certain things, And I think this is why, again, I have the awareness of it now, but this is why people handling me with what I call kid gloves are like constantly trying to push me toward, well, look at the positive and look at the bright side and things of that nature. It activates me. Um, Or when people try to coddle me through my feelings, sometimes it activates me because it, it activates the survival instinct in me because I know that I need to get to the bottom of it and then work through it right so that way I can integrate it in a healthy adaptive way I don't want to avoid it I don't want to skip steps right because I know that that is detrimental to me and my system so it activates my survival response and getting angry uh, when people handle me that way it's something that I've learned right and then once again It goes back to not personalizing other people's dysregulation and disembodiment. They do that because they may not have the same understanding 
right? Whatever that may look like. They may not have the same understanding that I have about me, about themselves, about the process, whatever the case may be. That's not my issue, right? That just lets me know that, okay, I'm top dancing on something that is sensitive for them, that dysregulates them. So maybe I need to be a little bit more careful in that regard, right? Knowing who I'm talking to. That's my job. How they handle it is their job. <laughs> um, but yes, like I just, it's just a reminder of the fact that medicine is available and answer that is available. The only one that can do your self work is you. Um, and that also, like the flip side of that, is the only one that can truly help a person is they have to do they have to want it they have to have the will to do it and you have to understand as an onlooker as someone on the outside looking in as someone who loves and cares about other people you have to understand the limits of your reach and the best way that you can help people and support people is to model model it model the things that you know are needed model the things that you know to be true embody it show people let people see let people know right and that is what will give them that gives them so much more than you trying to facilitate their healing on their behalf when they're not ready that gives them so much more skill and confidence in themselves to to know that um to come to that realization themselves like hold up look at what they've been able to do and if they can do that then what can I do right and then also like it keeps you regulated and embodied which is really the goal for everybody to be regulated and embodied right if I was to continue spending my time trying to give other people my mind and my understanding and my will when that's not where they were at not only does it disrupt their pro- process, it dysregulates me and disembodies me. That's my stuff, right? Um, so the best thing that I can do is continue to model my stuff. And so I, I say all of that um, just to encourage everybody and to remind everybody Everybody's having a hard time. (laughs) This is the thing about transformation, right? Like this is the energy that we are all under in some capacity. Some people um, have similar things that what I've talked about in this episode. Some people have a lot of grief and loss. Some people just have a lot of neglect right and abandoned and just going without some people have had to live without their basic needs being consistent in safe ways um people have a lot of different uh areas through which they are navigating these things and we are all being challenged on an individual level to transcend them right and on a collective level to have grace and compassion for ourselves and one another 
and to be Miriam Hasna calls it um Ram Hasna calls it right relationship right like how am I embodied and regulated at my unique frequency and mindful and conscious of my energy and whether or not I'm showing up when I'm slipping out of my own embodiment when I'm slipping out of my home frequency and when I am interacting with somebody else who may be dysregulated or disembodied um, or how I may be showing up in a way that causes that type of exchange to happen right not that we don't have moments it's not about being perfect in every moment it's about being able to be conscious and aware of what is happening and to make the corrections again to get yourself back right like oh shit this is a sticky topic for me this gets me a little bit angry this is attached to whatever thought feeling memory behavior whatever the case may be let me take a step back let me regulate so that I can be fully present and handle the issue that's happening in the present let me give you an example I had a little interaction with somebody and I felt like a couple things one I felt like this person was projecting an image onto me that was inaccurate. That is something that activates me for sure. Uh, it's, it's back to that whole unlovability thread, right? Like people think something of me, then they handle me a certain way. And then they, um, you know, all that type of stuff. It's neither here nor there, right? Um, and then two, I, at the time, I felt like I was being gaslit. Cause I'm like, yeah, like you didn't have to give me these, this explanation that you just gave me. It's a whole lot of bullshit. It, it just don't mean nothing to me. And I don't like the fact that you gave it to me. <laughs> now I think you playing with me. You've already done some things I didn't like. And I feel like I need to address this, but I had enough awareness to know. I don't know if all that anger you feel right now is warranted. If it's proportional to what actually happened so before you decide whether or not you address it just take a beat <laughs> and figure it out and it's interesting because every time I like tried to go back to it I started to feel a little angry again you know what I'm saying like I couldn't really think about it without being like bitch <laughs> like I just kept feeling like heavy energy and what the fuck is you talking about like who do you think I am? Like, I kept feeling that. And I'm like, I, if that's still there, there's something else going on here, right? And a couple of weeks ago, I came to the realization that this person reminded me of my second child's father, which we know there's a whole lot of anger attached there and a lot of um, ideas about boundaries. There's also a lot of things about, like, projection, right? Like, sometimes... I would feel like he's not really seeing me or understanding my intentions accurately across the board. And I think that that was um, a point of contention also there. But that's neither here nor there. That's the, you know what I'm saying? That's my kid's father. And, you know, not too much. <laughs> I don't care how much he might upset me. I'm saying we raising a baby and that baby love him. Not too much. Okay. Um, but yeah, like this person reminded me of him and I was having a conversation and about like this person in this interaction that upset me and whether or not I was going to address it. 
And I'm like, no, there's still a lot of anger here. I wonder if this is attached to this other anger that has been showing up for me. And so I just kind of sat with it and processed it when I could. And then in processing all of these other things and getting back to how I am activated when people want to make an assumption of the the medicine that I suggest and recommend. Um, and then to the frustration that I feel when I cannot um, rescue somebody else, when they're not receptive to those things. Um, and what that means to me about my own work, right? Like, and the, the nihilistic thoughts that that kind of activates underneath that. Um, and processing all of that. And I realized, listen, you know what I'm saying? Stop taking everything personal. And... You know, let people do their work, have their path. And that's when I was like, well, you know, it was kind of gaslighting, but they were not gaslighting me as much as they were gaslighting themselves. And like they had said in this long explanation that there's something that they take a lot of pride in. And it's like, okay, that makes sense. Like if that's something that's a big part of your identity that you would be really digging to justify your decisions and your behaviors um to support that part of your identity um so you're not gaslighting me you're gaslighting you and it's interesting because it's not even that I was upset with the decision like I understood the decision and the baseline reason for it I feel like the fact of the matter is what it is and I was cool with that it was the justification that was like, what is this? What is this? <laughs> this don't even make no sense. You don't even believe this, right? But then I realized, I'm like, okay, no, because they, they had to come up with those other things because they're telling you they pride themselves on this right here. And like this justification that they've given you holds up this idea that they've told you they hold very near and dear to themselves and for their identity. That's a them thing. It don't got nothing to do with you. Don't take that personal. Don't internalize that. It is what it is. Um, and then that just kind of neutralized it for me, right? But I share that story to say, one, being able to recognize things are connected and create some space when you're dysregulated. <laughs> <laughs> so that you don't dysregulate so much that you then become disembodied, right? Um, and then continuing to do that. This been probably about like two weeks at this point. I've been trying to figure out like, God damn it. <laughs> what am I going to do about this? <laughs> and, um, and that is, things are very clear, right? Things are very, very clear when you are regulated. It don't take a whole lot. When you're not um, seeking to process or find justice for past things and present situations, things become very, very clear. They're not as emotionally charged as they were before. I have lived it and I have facilitated it. I've watched it. So I know it to be true, right? And then also for me, and this is something that I think I want to start talking about a little bit more. This podcast is getting long. I want to stop it soon. But um, like how everything, it, it should boil down to some type of universal law, right? 
Like if you can get it down to a law that is true throughout the universe, that's how you know that you are on the right path and that you are um, connecting with your home frequency and um, on the right timeline, on your destiny timeline. Because it reminded me that, you know, everybody has their own home frequency and (laughs) people everybody's operating in that interest of survival based on where they are at their level of perception what they know the tools the resources sorry about that the resources that um they have and that's not your business right The best way to impact another is to be fully embodied. That's how we honor. That's how we operate in right relationship with other people, right? Um, I do me. I am me. I be me. And I make sure that I'm honoring myself and my needs at all times. And I embody that. And I embody that in a way that is as healthy and adaptive as possible so that people can see that there is... um, there's a way, there's a route for that, right? Um, and then maybe, just maybe, it'll inspire them to find it. Maybe it won't, right? Who knows? But at the end of the day, I'm still going to be in my body because that's the route that I chose. So this was real long-winded. <laughs> I shared a lot. Who knows if I'm actually put this shit out? <laughs> I might, I might not. Um, but if you have listened this long, God bless you. I hope that uh, that was helpful to you in some way. Um, whether I let you know that you are not alone, whether I let you know that I am human, whether I shared some insight that, you know, pinged something in you. I don't know, man. I just hope, <laughs> I just hope it was helpful. Um, yeah. So I would encourage everybody, if you've been listening to this, just take a moment when it goes off. Um, breathe, do some mindful and intentional breathing if that's accessible to you. Drink some water, stretch your body out. Um, bring yourself back home to yourself. Um back home to your body uh if you would are interested in that prayer that i mentioned earlier it is up on the patreon the post is unlocked um so i'll link it in the description here um that was a that was a breathing technique i just used called a victory breath or our ocean breath or ujjayi breathing it's very helpful look it up if you are interested um but yeah basically just do something to kind of regulate yourself it was a heavy conversation and i appreciate anybody who listens to any part of it if you've made it this far take care of yourself even if you don't feel like you're dysregulated or disembodied or um activated by anything that i talked about even if you've taken breaks in between when you were listening Um, I honor that and I appreciate that. I do think that as we're closing out, it can be helpful to do it again intentionally. Okay. So again, 
Y'all take care. I hope y'all enjoyed y'all Halloween weekend. And I hope that this was very, very helpful. Y'all be blessed. <laughs>